Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. You're so welcome. Um, if you're joining us online, we're really glad that you're staring at a screen with my face on it right now. Um, we hope you feel very much a part of what's happening here in the building. If you are a guest or a visitor, uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Andy, I'm part of the team here. Uh, it's James's fault that on the Easter choir bit on the website, it says, all welcome. I just want to clarify that, that uh, you're not all welcome. Um, <laughs> Listen, like, it's your Easter celebration service. Like, I, I would quite like the choir to sound good. Um, and if I join it, that will not happen. So um, here's what you should do. Go home, sing with a friend or a partner or a spouse, and then ask if you should sign up to the Easter choir, okay? Um, do you know what's funny? is like the Northern Ireland's full of people who can do things, but then when you ask them if they can, they're like, not really. Um, so don't do that. Like, if you actually can sing, we'd love you to be in the choir, you know? Um, that's really important. But um, every Sunday when we're here and Dana's with me in whatever service and we, I sing loud, her shoulders start to go. If you ever notice Dana's shoulders going, it's not because she's having some sort of physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's because she can hear me singing. And um, it, does, it does make her laugh. But anyway, we would love you to join the choir if you can sing. Um, and if you can't, there's plenty of other ways for you to get involved in Easter. <laughs> We are in a transition moment this morning as we end our uh, series in Isaiah 61 and as we move into the season of Lent, the great uh, fast. Uh, just uh, wave at me if you're fasting anything for Lent. This is the holy service. So at the 9.30, nobody lifted their hand. Um, I was like, we have lots of work to do. We had a moment with the kids chatting through all this uh, during the week, and uh, we said, so guys, who, who wants to fast something? What are you going to fast? We have nine-year-old twins and an 11-year-old, and uh, two of them were quite excited. One actually even said chocolate, which we were like, I love your heart, but we have no confidence you'll be able to follow through on that. Uh, but one of them looked at me and said, I'm not fasting anything, Dad. Um, What's funny is I talk to people about Lent, um, not just in church communities, you know, with friends up for dinner uh, a couple weeks ago, not part of any church anywhere, wouldn't necessarily call themselves people of faith, um, but one of them had given up alcohol or was about to give up alcohol for Lent. And um, what's funny is we get caught up in this, like, what are we giving up conversation. And like, guys, to be honest, that's not really the point. The point is fasting is, uh, sorry, Lent is like a coin. And one side of the coin is fasting, but the other side of the coin is focusing. That we fast so we can focus. Like it's not just about giving up something that if you give up chocolate or your friends or whatever it is for you, um, that that's the point. The question, the much more important question is what are you focusing on um, through Lent? Fasting doesn't serve any purpose at all if it doesn't lead us to a greater clarity and intention around the pursuit of something more meaningful than what we are giving up. We fast so that we can focus. And so my question as we end Isaiah 61 and as we begin this journey of Lent as a community is what has your attention at the moment? What are you focused on in your life 
right now. Career, family, relationships, your past, your future, the news. The truth is, um, as I was preparing this message this week, I found it a real challenge. I found um, praying about what I should say and really seeking the Lord around the text that we're going to open today together. I find it, I find it really difficult because my attention was uh, maybe like all of you captured by the events in Oma on Wednesday night as my normal evening routine. It's probably not a great one to be honest. I don't maybe recommend it, but at the end of the day, checking the news and seeing what had happened. And that's weighed incredibly heavily upon me um, over the last number of days. And I suspect that has been the case for many of you here. And before we open the scriptures uh, this afternoon, I I just want to speak specifically to those of you who are part of this community who serve in our police service, for those of you who are married to people um, in our police service, for those of you who have kids or parents that are in, in that uh, world right now. And we want to, as a community, say two things really to you. Um, we see you and we are so grateful. Uh, we're so grateful for the way you serve our community. And uh, our commitment has been and will be that we will hold you in prayer. And I'd really encourage all of you to to. Uh, take up that mantle this week and in the coming weeks, not just for those who serve in our security forces in this community, but specifically for John Caldwell, for his son, for his family, and for the community of Oma. It's um, been very difficult for me to imagine what life in that community must be like at the minute, and the incredible amount of pain that they've had to walk through. And we are we are so grateful to you all. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 11? It's page 511 in uh, the Bibles on your seats. We're going to um, begin in verse 11, and then I'll I'll finish this afternoon with the, the whole chapter. Isaiah 61, verse 11 says, For as the soil makes the young plant come up, And a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Father, we come to you in this moment and this afternoon, we welcome you among us. God, we pray that you would speak to us. Would you catch us up into your atmosphere, your plans, your purposes? not just for our lives, Jesus, but for this whole community and this strange wee place we call home. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's nearly the end of February, and um, 
For those of you who know me well, you will know that that uh, means it's tree planting season for me. And over the next few weeks, I will plant another few hundred trees at home. And uh, for any of you who don't know, Dana and I live kind of on the side of a, uh, of a small mountain in the Jamar Hills. And um, in Northern Irish terms, it's a challenging enough little environment to get things to, to grow in. A couple of weeks ago, I went to the place that I make my annual pilgrimage to to buy the trees. And um, I know the guys that work there, but I only go once a year, so they don't have a clue who I am every time I show up. And so we have the same conversation every time I go. And they always ask me uh, one question. And it goes something like this. Okay, what are you after? And I'll say that. And then they'll say, what's the ground like? And... It's interesting because elevation, aspect, shade, wind, frost, all of those things are an important consideration when you're planting things. Um, but much more important than any of that is what is the ground? Like how wet is it? How easily does it drain? Is it full of rocks? Is it sandy? Is it got clay in it? What, what's the ground like? You see, the soil determines what can grow. And so it is with our lives. The great Wendell Berry, one of my heroes, writing about soil, says this, Soil is the great connector of our lives, the source and destination of all. It is the healer and restorer and resurrector by which disease passes into health, age into youth, death into life. Without proper care for it, we can have no community because without proper care for it, we can have no life. Every good farmer knows that the health of his farm is determined by the health of his soil. And we are increasingly waking up to the truth that the pressure our agricultural system and our farmers are under to continually, annually produce more and more and more for less and less and less is leaving our environment in a dire state as we become more and more addicted or as the soil becomes more and more addicted to chemical intervention. As we use chemicals to manipulate the soil, stripping it of its health and resilience, making it in the process more and more dependent upon those chemicals, I, I can't help but see a correlation between many of our spiritual lives as we use conferences or podcasts or worship albums as chemical fertilizers that give us a shot in the arm but leave us feeling somewhat thin and more and more dependent upon the next intervention, the next moment in worship, the next incredible conference or thing like that. The field in the front of our house has been grazed by sheep for perhaps generations, not just decades. And when we bought the site and started to build the, the house, the, the field went fallow for a period of years. It was a field that was really concerned with builders and diggers. There was one afternoon in the middle of building that uh, Amy and the guys from Kindred came up for a photo shoot. And there were models and wonderful kind of linen dresses and shirts and all that kind of thing. And I'll never forget getting out of the car as the digger man met me and said, it's all happening today, isn't it, Andy? They had no clue what to make of what was happening on their building site. But 
the field was dormant. There were no sheep in it for a couple of years. And the spring of the third year, I was walking in the field. It's towards the end of May. And um, I was just out with the dogs. And then something between my feet caught my attention in the grass. I was like, what is, what is that? Because it's usually just grass. And uh, I looked down, and there was this tiny little flower. And then, as I looked more carefully, I noticed that there was another little flower to the left of it, and to the right of it, and in front of it, and behind it. And then I began to look around me, and I was surrounded. The field was full of these wildflowers that I had not planted. The field had literally burst into life with all kinds of different colors and flowers that were super easy to miss if you were in a hurry. But as I paid attention to the field, they were everywhere. As the soil makes the young plant come up, you see, the seeds for all these little wildflowers, they were in the soil all along. It's just the field needed some rest for them to begin to blossom. Enough about fields and flowers. What's growing in your life right now? What's growing in the atmosphere of your heart right now? How would you describe, what words would you use to describe the soil of your life, tired, confused, excited, angry, full of faith, expectant, afraid. It's interesting that I'm quite convinced if I asked every single one of you what you long for for this community we all call home, I imagine at some point in that conversation we would get to a point where we would agree that we long for this place to thrive. The place that we are building our lives, the place where we're doing friendship, the place where we're raising our children. We long for it to thrive. But how attentive are we to what's growing? How aware are we of the weeds that seem to spring up in all kinds of places? I don't want to um, go on a major deep dive on this, but we have just endured the um, transfer system in our education world. And uh, our daughters in P7 will go to big school next year. And something really interesting started to happen as we kind of moved through the autumn. Talking to other parents that were going through this, talking to teachers, talking to principals, um, talking to politicians. <laughs> um, not that we were on a crusade, it's just kind of what was in our lives. And what I found really interesting was to a person, there is consensus that this system is mad. I, I couldn't really find anybody that was like, this is great, isn't it? And yet somehow we've all agreed that this is a disaster but it's just the way it is. And without bashing in any way, shape, or form, those of you who are involved in our education system, I think it's symptomatic of life in Northern Ireland. That we are experts often at consensus about what's broken. And at the same time, complicit in, it's just the way it is. And I wonder in these days, 
And in these moments, is there an invitation to occupy a slightly different posture? Not getting aggressive or angry or judgmental, but just to begin to say, we want something else to grow. We, we want to name weeds for what they are. And I don't just mean our education system. We live largely in a segregated society, a divided education system, different sports, all kinds of different ways where we are complicit with systems of injustice and oppression. It doesn't feel overly overt. It's one of the reasons why the people of God should find themselves often on their knees in a posture of repentance. It's why Jesus taught his followers to pray, forgive us our sins. Not because we're up to our eyes in evil, but because the systems of this world are steeped in injustice. Stephen Backhouse, our friend and theologian, taught us years ago to think of powers and principalities as nameless and faceless powers that affect the societies and communities that we live in. What are we cultivating? In your life right now, what are you cultivating? What is the soil of your life? Soil of suspicion or soil of faith? Soil of fear or soil of hope? Soil of hate or soil of love? I was driving over here on Thursday morning and... Um, I don't know if you ever noticed this in your car, but in my car, once the phone connects to the kind of Bluetooth system, it'll just start playing whatever is on my phone. And um, there's a new song by uh, a musician that I listen to quite a lot that was released on Thursday morning, titled, The Past Is Never Dead. And I've just come out of a kind of fairly intense moment in my study praying for everything that was going on in Oma. And then I get into the car to drive over here and this song comes on. And the opening lyrics are, the past is never dead, echoes of days gone by, words linger in the dust. It's a hell of a road behind. And I find myself inhabiting this kind of like slightly Pentecostal rage of like, no, I'm not okay with that as a truth. I want to be able to declare that the past is dead and to move on into a future that is detached from that. And if I could just maybe muster up enough faith and declare it long enough in my drive from the mountain down into the valley, maybe it would be so. And then, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I had that moment of like, maybe I should actually ask God what he's doing. Maybe I should actually listen to what he's saying rather than just ranting out of my own emotions. So I got to about Anna Hilt, and um, I started to pray, Jesus, what do you see? What do you say? And I felt like God spoke really clearly to me in the car, and he said, Andy, the past is never dead. And I, like, honestly, like, I'm not kind of, I wouldn't have been surprised if I'd ended up in a ditch. I was honestly shocked, and then I started to have a theological argument with God. I don't know if you've ever done that. Because the scriptures say we're dead to sin. 
I'm like, but God, like the Bible says we're dead to sin. And I started to think about and argue with this whole kind of thing. And then that David Irvine quote, some of you will know, um, former loyalist paramilitary reformed, um, started the PUP and um, worked really hard for uh, peacemaking in our peace process. And there's a mural in, in East Belfast of David Irvine and it says, uh, those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. And I, I started to have this like really funny thing, just dri- driving to work. I don't know how your drives to work go. This is not a normal drive to work for me, okay? Um, I started to have this thing where that came into my head and I started to realize, yeah, like it's, it's true that like we are, for those of us who are in Christ, we are dead to sin, yes, but how many times have I pastored people who have come out of pretty difficult backgrounds and stories and been liberated, set free from stuff, but the very things they become set free from are the things that they minister freedom into other people's lives and our desire to deny the past, to just declare that it's dead, that we can just draw a line under it. Don't we hear this at times? Sunday lunch tables, dinner tables, walk with friends, we think about Northern Ireland, we just draw a line under it and move on and yet the past is the place where our broken hearts are held. I was in another meeting this week with a very elderly businessman who's gonna very generously give some money to Nua, the festival we're involved in in the summer. I sat across this board table from him and it was like being with my grandfather who's passed away. It was like, honestly, it it was uncanny. His dress sense, the questions he asked, the way he asked them, even the way he excused himself to go to the toilet in the middle of the meeting and sort of wobbled out of the room. And I, I got out of the meeting and my car and phone Dana, I just wept, you know, it was, it was just like, it was the closest thing to my grandfather I've experienced since he, since he died. You see, the, the past is, the past holds the pieces of our broken hearts. It doesn't actually work for us to try to deny it or ignore it. But there's this interesting dichotomy for the people of God where memory is a sacred thing. But memory without imagination becomes a prison. That whenever we get stuck in the past, when our lives become This is just the way it is. That leads us into a hopeless existence. That as the people of God, we are supposed to not deny the past, but allow it to inform our prophetic imagination. You see, the dreams of the church were always supposed to be in response to the nightmares of the age So let me ask us again, what's growing in our hearts? As we think about this place, as we think about our lives, what's growing? What is the vision that we're living with growing out of? We need both memory and holy imagination. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. 
in one of the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to find the one that she loves. And in John 20, I think it is, she, she meets Jesus and the text records that she thinks he's a gardener. And I think that's so interesting to me that something about Jesus made her think he's just a gardener when the truth is she was meeting with the gardener. A humble gardener. It's one of the most beautiful Gently powerful images, metaphors for God, the all-powerful one who would identify himself as a gardener coming to tend to the soil of our lives, to give it rest, to pull up the weeds, and to plant new seeds. My sense for us, friends, is that it's time for us to let the gardener do his work, to invite the gardener to come and point out the things in our lives that are weeds and to gently but intently remove them. It's time for new soil, soil of humility, of hunger and holiness time for us to set down our addiction to the fertilizer of Christian entertainment, to the next great worship set, to repent of our sin and our complicity with systems of injustice and oppression, to reject systems of sectarian suspicion and division, to stop worshiping at the altar of sex and power. The true gardener is at work and as humbly and as gently as I can say this, I I think we need to get really serious about this, to lay down silly arguments, ideals and preferences and to fall in love with Jesus again. The sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. I don't know if you're aware of what's been going on in uh, Kentucky over the last number of weeks, Um, but um, the last encounter we had, for any of you that were here, you'll remember that in the middle of encounter, there was this, the only way I could describe it was it was intensely gentle. This like moment of peace just kind of fell in the room and James was leading worship here and he hung his guitar up and just lay there. And honestly, I didn't know what to do. Which is why it lasted for like 10, 15 minutes. It was just quiet silence. People just lay down over the room. And what's really interesting on that very same day in a university in Kentucky in a town called Asbury, there was a chapel meeting And the chapel finished, and everyone went back to class, and a small group of students stayed to pray. And as the students went back to class, they started independently, in lecture theaters and classrooms all around the university campus, independently started to say to their lecturers, I think I need to go back to chapel. 
And thank God their lecturers had the wisdom to say, that's more important than whatever we're talking about. And they started to trickle back into the chapel and a worship service went on for two weeks, 24-7, without stopping. The town of Asbury is about 3,500 people. Over the two weeks, they estimate around 100,000 people have been in the town. And what's really interesting is this is a, I don't know what you would call it, outpouring of the spirit that was started by students, led by students, and sustained by students, 20-year-olds. And um, a couple of the big news agencies in America got in touch to say they wanted to come. And these students said, no thanks. And one of the um, really famous news anchors was doing a bit of a piece on it last week, and he said these words. He said, in today's world, Everyone is desperate for more publicity. That's the economy we live in. I mean, if you can somehow manage to get five or 10,000 people on your Instagram account, you can make an entire living out of just leveraging that. And he said, in today's world, nobody says no to publicity. But these students did. And then he looked right down the camera and he says, and I think that's a good thing. Holy, humble, hungry. Living into a completely different spirit. I'll tell you this last story as we come to close. I was chatting with a friend last week. A friend of his had gone to Africa to meet with um, a group of pastors who had uh, been involved in um, seeing dead people come back to life. And this group of Western leaders had gone to spend time with these pastors. And they were in this meeting. And the person who'd kind of organized the trip started to introduce these pastors as this is Pastor so-and-so. And he's seen six people come back to life. And this is Pastor so-and-so. And he's raised three people back to life. And this is Pastor whatever. And he's whatever. And as this went on, these humble pastors started to shriek and they dived under the tables. Don't introduce us like that. Jesus is at work. The gardener is here. And he's putting his finger on things in our lives. It's time for us to deal with. And he is calling us back to our first love. That as our hearts break about things happening all over Northern Ireland, it is as we allow God by his spirit to renew us, that we are actually open to the imagination and to the new way of seeing things that he's inviting us into. I think it's really interesting, Christina sharing her amazing story of that beautiful picture. I was actually here when she was painting the picture and I felt incredibly jealous that I can't paint like that, but it turns out she can't paint like that either. 
I was at my friend Stephen's house last Tuesday and he's just started painting. And he showed me, actually he didn't show me, his wife came home and said, did you show him the painting? And he said, no. And she said, you need to go and get the painting. And he brought in this incredible painting. I was just sitting in worship, listening to Christina and thinking about Steve and going, I think there is something new God's inviting us into. Not your old ways, your old talents, the old places that you go to. But it's time, sitting with Steve and looking at this incredible painting, I'm like, surely you've painted before, Steve. Like, you can't, that cannot possibly be your first painting. And he's like, well, like, not really, yeah, that's my first painting. I wonder, for Christina in here, for Steve in his home, the courage required when you feel like you can't paint to pick up a paintbrush and just start. What's growing in your life right now that would be so easy for you to either step on or ignore? What's growing? What do you need to focus on. Invite Andy and the band back up. If you're able, we stand. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, that they would be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, that they would rebuild ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, that they would renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. And you will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. So you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. 
In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite the great gardener into the soil and weeds of our lives. Come, we welcome you.